to Smith and Jones on a Wednesday. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And uh, Jones, we're going to dive right into this thing as it's game day, a double dip of Smith and Jones today with the Raptors getting set for the Celtics in Boston. 7 o'clock pregame, 7.30, tip off on Sportsnet 590 Fan. And we will have the call of that game. Uh, but you've got us for the next two hours as well and uh, coming off a very busy night uh, in the uh, National Basketball Association as well. Uh, at least busy in terms of the product on the floor. Not busy in terms of the amount of games. Only three last night. But busy in terms of, well, a team that needed a victory finally got one. The the Milwaukee Bucks kind of struggling out of the gate. And, and, and they get a victory against the uh, 76ers last night. Uh, 118-109 the final on that one. And then another team kind of sputtering right now. Continues to slip and fall and sputter right now. The Atlanta Hawks losing in Utah like a lot of teams do. Uh, the other game, Portland, had a lead for a while, but ultimately too much Paul George as the Clippers take care of the Blazers. But before we dive through all of that, um, and I will tease again, at some point this hour, we do need to mention some of our celebrity encounters over the years. As much as that's kind of name-droppy, we did tease it yesterday. We said we would mention some of our you know, celeb encounters because you kind of left the show talking about uh, the, the elevator doors opening, and there was Will Smith in Philadelphia, of all places, coming out of an elevator. And I thought you were going to tell the story of running into Muhammad Ali when we saw him uh, in a hotel in Beverly Hills. So that's, that's another today. tease. We can that's tell, today. That, we'll tell the, yeah, we'll tell that story later. But off the bat, um, I got to ask you about the NBA and yep. the suspension levied against uh, Nikola Jokic and no suspension for Markeith Morris. My quick take, I'll weigh in more. I'll throw it over to you. I think the league got it wrong, and I think that both players should have been suspended, but I'll, I'll let you take the floor. Well, just to kind of jump on some of the stuff you said earlier uh, with with the games, um, Atlanta's not sneaking up on anybody this year. Uh, they, they really aren't, and this is what happens. You're a young team. You have success. You work out all summer. You come back. You're like, okay, we got this now. I know what's going on. And all of a sudden, people are looking for you. And I, I just think that uh, it's going to – they they may be suffering from a little bit of uh, successful hangover, as I call it. You know, you got to go back down the mountain and climb up again to get to where you were last year that everybody looked at you, you know, with such lofty heights. So – I, I think you know in that in that sense um, the Atlanta Hawks are are you know really in a in a new world so to speak it's it's kind of a a new world order for the Hawks um, with regard to the league they did get it wrong they in my eyes they got it wrong Morris should have been fined and suspended. And Jokic should have got a suspension, which was less than Morris's. Uh, the NBA has, and, and I got a whole bunch of things to unpack here. And I've said this, Eric, you've heard me on the broadcast spewing about this. The NBA, it started in Europe. It's matriculated to the NBA game. They have to do something about this foolish, quote unquote, take foul. The other team's got a fast break and you just take a foul to, to stop it. Okay. Take the foul. The other team gets the ball. You know, you get to set your defense. Oh, but in between time, they get one shot. So, yeah, you can set up your defense, but it costs you one free throw. And right. that means that it could potentially be a three-point trip the next time on the inbound or a four-point trip. 
but you want to do the you, you want to use the quote take foul and you want to use it in a in a way that's not within the limitations the guidelines the 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 the, the you know, a basketball play within the realm of a basketball play, you just reach out and grab a guy, then it's one shot and the ball. If it's, if a guy's trying to hustle back and he's running beside a guy and he reaches in and he slaps him and it's a foul. Well, that's a basketball play. I was trying to stop the fast break by getting a steal. It didn't work, but I got the foul and it wasn't something that looked like I was just trying to stop the fast break. And it means another judgment for the officials, but you got to stop that. And then, you know, Morris, I mean, Eric Spolster to say, oh, that was just, it was a take foul. No, it wasn't. He, no, you listened that, was a, to his, that was a terrible take by Eric Spolster. That was, that was bad. Well, yeah, and if you listen to what we played yesterday on the clip, he stopped short of describing it in classic terms that the referees use in their nomenclature. He stopped short of calling it a flagrant two. In Hold saying on it one was second. Hold on one second. Unnecessary Jonesy. and excessive. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, I speak on behalf of the uh, audience. You know, I know your father taught you well, but what did, what did you say? Nomenculture? Nomenclature. Language. Nomenclature. Yeah. All right. I'm writing it down because I, I tell you that I we've worked together for 20 plus years. I've never heard you use that, and you'd be the only one that would. So I'm writing it down. Going to bring it into my lexicon now. Thank you, Jonesy. I just learned something today. Thank you. Eric, go Eric, ahead. The Sorry. First time, I, first time I heard nomenclature was in well, my dad used it, but it really hit home when my grade 12 chemistry teacher, Mr. Morwick, used it. And he was talking about chemistry and balancing chemical equations and stuff. And he talked about the nomenclature and moles and molarity and molality and stuff like that. I'm like, oh my Lord, wait a minute. The old man's lost. used that. The old man's used that word. So, so let me look it up. So, um, <laughs> Anyway, that, that my, that's my probably why I didn't is, know it because science class and wh- anything math, science, whatever, I was either already done with it or I had already tuned out from it. So that's probably anyways. Anyways, I always learn something from you, Jonesy. You're you're responsible between between Mrs. Quinn and Mrs. Clatworthy. Mr. Jones is now third on the list in terms of teaching me the English language. Go ahead, um, Jonesy. Like I said, my my. Grade 12 English teacher, Mrs. Shanky, would have been proud of me because I rarely she, – she always caught me sleeping with my eyes open in class. So, um, look, my, my take is that the NBA needs to stop that and that Morris, even described by Eric Spolstra, basically committed at least a flagrant one, possibly a flagrant two. And, and look, here's what we don't know, E, because I'm not a full expert on the collective bargaining agreement – there may be something that says he can't be uh, suspended for that. It's not, you know, egregious enough for him to, 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 you know, for it to warrant a suspension. So maybe they could only fine him a certain amount. But even the fines, and and as I digress here, Aaron Rodgers' fine relative to his strategy to his salary. Did you see what it amounts to? I, I, I saw. Yeah, Darren Ravel had that tweet. Yep, thirty three dollars and change. Like I, I, we get, we get parking tickets and speeding tickets for more than that. So anyway, they, they probably just could only find him. Maybe, I don't know. We'll have to ask, a, uh, you know, somebody from the players association and Jokic deserved his suspension, but I think Morris got off easy. See, and I'm, I'm even willing to go this far, Jonesy. I, I, I don't disagree with any of what you said or your assessment of things, but I'm willing to even listen to somebody that says Jokic deserves more because it was, 
from behind, completely blind, the whiplash effect, et cetera, et cetera. I'm willing to listen. I'm not saying I agree, but I'm willing to listen that he should get more. But the point to me is that his more then should be, all right, fine, give him two games, but Morris gets one. If Morris isn't getting more. The fact that Morris walks away from this simply with just a fine, if you're talking about trying to not only protect the players, but and I'm not trying to say that there should be a separation between the top tier and the bottom tier, but let's be honest, there is. You're talking about the MVP. And some dude, and I, who was it? I think it was uh, Bill Simmons that said it and, and kind of articulated well what so many of us either said as well or thought as well. You can't have a 10th, 11th guy on the floor in garbage time or garbage time because of the fact that you're down by 17. And he, was, he was giving you work all day. He was giving you work all yeah. night, too. He's got a triple-double, and your team is down by 17, and you're coming in with a take foul, and you know you're trying to send a message. You're coming in and giving him a shoulder-lowered body check at center court, and you think you're just going to turn your back and walk away and, A, get no repercussion, and, B, not suffer any punishment, and then have your coach call some BS that it was a fine foul and it was a take foul? No, man, you can't go after – you shouldn't be going after the 15th man on the roster like that, let alone an MVP and one of the stars of the league. So the, the, the NBA screwed up by not slapping down a harsher penalty on Markeith Morris. I mean, the fact that even Morris Jones at the end of the day got I, – I mean, we could split hairs and argue and say, well, he got almost double. He got he got 50 grand. Jimmy Butler got 30. What did Jimmy Butler do? Jimmy Butler just flapped his lips and tried to initiate a fight and said, you know, meet me back at the locker room. So Markeith Morris – for actually, really, then he got twenty grand for the hit and thirty for the talk. Like it's it it it, it made no sense to me. And and we're, you know, we're, to yeah. me, the league, the NBA, has done a good job, a pretty good job over the years of levying fines and punishment that I think have generally fit the crime. And they've often erred on the harsher side. Whereas we've had many arguments and conversations over the years about the National Hockey League to compare two leagues being too lenient and not harsh enough. This, to me, was like an NHL-type punishment. I expected more from the NBA, and I'm really surprised that it wasn't worse uh, for, for both players, but especially for Morris. Well, at some point, we're going to have to get our man Stu Jackson on, who's a friend of the show and used to be the, the VP of operations, a.k.a. discipline, either him or Kiki Vandeweghe, to talk about this thing. But, um, you know, Eric, people will say, you know, maybe that I'm being too hard on Morris, but... Hey, I used to I used to be in a school, and when you go out in the schoolyard, and the same kids involved in stirring up the the nonsense, and you got a good kid reacting to it, you're gonna pay attention. Like, okay, it's it's Paul Jones again. He's in the middle of everything, you know. Yeah, sure. The you know the good kid retaliated, but that guy's stirring it up again, and the good kid gets a talking to about you can't do that you can't retaliate blah 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 even though you can understand why but the kid that's always out there stirring the pot it, it look your reputation precedes you and we know what and this is not a bad thing but we know what kind of player markeith morris is he's a tough hard-nosed old school kind of guy okay fine you can play that way but when you cross the line here's the line when you cross the line you're going to get fined. If you if you if you cross the next line, you're going to get suspended. I just thought he should have got more uh, because and and look, I won't even go into the fact that Brian Scalabrini talked about it yesterday. Here's a European guy coming over to the NBA and giving you work. 
Like, could you imagine if they had done that to anybody would have the gumption to do that to LeBron James, the potential MVP, mm-hmm. or Steph Curry, or or a young star like Luka Doncic or Trey Young? Are you kidding me? Anyway. I, well, it's, I just, it's what it just, we talked about yesterday, too. The, 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 the way that the leash is longer, and it shouldn't be, for the big man. The big man can take the pounding. The big man should be able to to, to, to take the bigger hits, or, or there's that perception at times, and I, I think that's BS. I mean, even last night, Jonesy, I thought the explanation's coming from, and and this necessarily didn't have much to do with their size. It was just the, the unwritten code, the unwritten rules, like we've been talking about, like so many others have as well. If Marky Morris thinks that he's going to hit somebody like that, then just turn his back and walk away. Charles and, 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 and Shaq were talking about it last night on TNT as well. Yeah. You're not Don't just going to walk around. away. Don't turn around, man. You're going to hit me like that? That's fine. But be prepared because there's something coming back. And, and that, to me, might just be the, the, the confidence, the arrogance, the ignorance of Markeith Morris if he thinks that he's going to do that and just be able to walk away with no retaliation. you got to be kidding me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, we're going we're gonna, to uh, have Tim Bontemps from ESPN joining us in a couple of minutes, and we'll get his uh, impression of, of what the league uh, levied in terms of fines and punishment and whatnot. And we've got lots to talk to Tim about. Plus, later on in the show, uh, we're going to hook up with Alvin Williams as uh, we get set for the Celtics and Raptors in Boston tonight. And uh, we'll talk to Alvin not just about that game, but, hey, get his take on the suspension. And, and maybe more specifically, because as a Philly guy, he'll know Markeith Morris well as well. And, uh, and, and he can talk to, as a player, the code and the unwritten code and how Alvin might have handled situations. Cause I'm sure he's got some stories, Jonesy, hey. from, you know, from having played alongside Gary Trent senior, let alone Charles Oakley. And, and the list goes on. I'm sure Alvin's got plenty, plenty that he can go into the memory bank on for situations like this. I, I, I agree, Eric. And, you know, let me put it this way. I always take it back to the schoolyard, right? If we were playing on the schoolyard and Morris did that, he wouldn't turn his back. Because you'd be expecting Correct. some hands, some hands might be flying, so you would have to be prepared for that. I, I just saying that, and you're right. Back in the old days, yeah, Charles Oakley guys would take a hard foul, knock a guy down, and just they knew that something was coming back, and that's the way you played it. Oh, and but the NBA doesn't want that anymore. On the line right now, pleased to bring into the conversation our friends from ESPN, Tim Bontemps. Tim, great to hear from you. How you guys doing? Good, Tim. All good, uh, hopefully Tim. you can hear yeah. us all right. Uh, Tim, we, we've obviously been talking for a couple of minutes yeah. here about uh, about the NBA and, and, and the fines and suspension, or I was going to say suspensions, suspension levied by the league. Did, did, did the uh, league office get this right, Tim, or do you, did you expect there to be harsher penalties for all parties involved? I mean, whether they got it right or not is sort of irrelevant. This is what it was always going to be. If you go back to the playoffs last year, Patrick Beverly – Uh, gave Chris Paul a two-handed shove in the back without any provocation beforehand and got one game. So when you look at that in the context of what happened with Nicole Jokic and Marquise Morris, this is what the punishment was going to be. He was going to get a game, he got a game, and we move on from there. Um, You know, if people want to say that there should have been a harsher penalty, that's fine. In Adam Silver's NBA, uh, that has not really been the way things have been done. And, again, like, I go back to that play in the playoffs. That was a dirtier play than this because, as you guys were just talking about, there was certainly a, a preceding uh, action here that, uh, that caused Jokic to react the way he did. Um, but still, I think anybody thinking he was going to get more than one game just didn't 
look at the history of it. And I, I think, frankly, the more interesting thing to me is now we've seen Nikola Jokic do this twice. Uh, you go back to those same playoffs against actually the same Phoenix Suns, and you know he went after campaign in that playoff series and got ejected from a game. And people at the time were saying, "Oh well, you know, how can you throw a guy like this out of the game?" Well, you throw him out of the game when he does something that deserves to get thrown out of the game. And uh, I think you know the thing I'm kind of curious about going forward is sort of monitoring how Yoka channels these incidents because he isn't a guy that you know, you think of as being a hot-tempered guy, but we've seen. You know, frankly, in the span of 10 or 12 games, including the playoffs, you know, him do this twice now. So uh, I'm anxious to see if this is something that, you know, crops up again at some point between now and the end of the season. Tim, uh, interesting you say that because I thought, you know, he got off lightly with the campaign incident. And again, both of them are situations where, uh, you know, in the case of Phoenix, Phoenix was Phoenix was giving him work like Phoenix was was, you know, Denver was not. I think they were a little taken aback. They were a little surprised, like, hold on a second here. And last in, in Monday night's game, um, you had you had Jokic giving the Miami Heat work. I mean, he had a triple-double on them, and people will say, well, he shouldn't have been on the floor at that time and all that. Well, hey, it doesn't, doesn't you know, preclude the fact that the guy is, is, is handing it to people, and they get upset about it. So... Um, you know, I, I wonder how much that's taken into it. And the thing that I said to Eric was, we don't know what parameters there are around fines and suspensions in the collective agreement and how far the league could actually go. Well, I will just tell you, that has nothing to do with it. They could have suspended him longer if they wanted to. They just didn't want to. And, and like I said, I think if you look, if you generally look at the last few years, the way things have gone, there's been a trend away from heavier punishment just across the board, Right. And if you go back to, like I said, I, the second that happened, I thought back to that Pat Beverly play. He got suspended for one game, and that was a, a really unprompted thing in a playoff game. So when you look at it that way, compared to what happened here, when there was some, you know, Marquis certainly went at him in the first place, um, I would have been really surprised if he got more than one game. And whether he should have or not, I think it's sort of irrelevant because – it's just this is the way the league is right now, and this is how they adjudicate things. And so I think that's sort of the standard that you have to judge it by, right? Like, you've got to do something pretty crazy to get more than a game. And, you know, say what you want about the Jokic situation. I don't think it was as bad of a thing as what Beverly did, and he only got a game. So I wasn't surprised that this was one game here. Speaking with Tim Bontemps from ESPN, um, Tim, we'll, we'll move on from this topic because one thing I wanted to touch on with you as well, um, I don't know if this was a first for you. Maybe you can let us know, but you had a chance to, uh, to uh, you know, take in the visit that the Milwaukee Bucks had to the White House the other day. Um, first of all, was that a first for you? And, and, and what was it like just, you know, kind of being a part of the, the ceremony and, and seeing the Bucks having that, uh, that, that honor after winning the championship last year? It was. It was a first for me, Eric, and it was really neat. Um, you know, it's it's not something, you, as you guys know, it, it's not an easy thing to win a championship. It's not something you get to uh, to see happen very often, and it, it was neat to be able to be on hand for that ceremony, which was the first time an NBA team had done that in five years since the Cavs went there late in the Obama administration. So it was definitely interesting to do that, and it's been an interesting time to be around the Bucks. I was at their game last night in Philly. I was at their game uh, Sunday in Washington, and I just got to New York to be at their game tonight against the Knicks. 
And, um, you know, they're a team that obviously has very high expectations. They think they have a real shot to defend their championship this year. But they're dealing with a ton of injuries. And they have a ton of guys out of the lineup, and they've been trying to put this thing together with, with gum and scotch tape and, and glue over the past couple of weeks. And they've lost a bunch of games. And, um, you know, last night they're in Philly. They're down in the fourth quarter. They've lost several games in a row. Um, they'd only beat Detroit, I think, in the last two weeks, so things were not going well. And, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo decided he was going to win the game and went out and won the game. Um, I thought it was a pretty important win for them, and they got a chance, you know, playing the Knicks tonight here in New York to maybe get another one and start to turn this thing in the other direction. But, um, but yeah, it was really neat to be there for it, and I think for a team that was going through a pretty rough patch, it was kind of a nice break for them to be able to just have a day to enjoy themselves and follow it up with a win last night certainly uh, made it all the sweeter for them. Tim, are they suffering from any kind of um, any kind of championship hangover? It doesn't look like it. It looks like they're they're working hard. I think, you, as you said, the injuries have 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 really been difficult for them, but um, they're not off to a great yep. start. And and how much of it is injuries? How much of it is okay? You got the target on your back right now, and the trophy tour is over. Nobody cares that you won and you held it up last year. We're on to this year. They, they won their opener by 30 against the Nets and haven't been healthy since. And I, I would say that sort of sums up the situation. Right, Paul? I mean, you look at their team and, you know, Chris, Chris Middleton's currently in the, the health and safety protocols. Drew Holiday missed a bunch of games. Bobby Portis missed a bunch of games. Not that DiVincenzo hasn't played at all. Rick Lopez has been out for weeks. That's like six of their five or six of their top eight guys have been playing, right? So you put that together and you're not going to win a lot of games. Um, you know, you guys saw what happened. I mean, it's essentially what sort of happened in Toronto for a good chunk of last year, right? The Raptors were just banged up and could never really get out of second gear because of it. Um, these guys should be a lot closer to being on the mend. And even la- even the other night in, in uh, Philly, you know, Thanasis, the Tedekupos, was playing a bunch. He didn't play. Um, they're able to start getting closer to a normal rotation again. And I think they're going to be just fine. Um, in particular, I think the addition of Grayson Allen has been huge for them. He, he has been... In these, in these struggles, the one bright spot has been he has immediately stepped in and played great. And I think the two-year extension they gave him for under $10 million a year is going to look really, really good because he is a great fit in their system. He's getting a ton of wide-open shots. Um, Giannis hit him for the game clinching three last night with a minute and a half to go. He already clearly starting to trust him uh, to be out there in big moments. So I think Milwaukee is going to be damn good. And, and I, you know, when, when, all things, when, when this thing uh, comes down to it, in May and June, if the Bucks are healthy, you know, I know everybody's anointed the Nets, and I understand why, but I think these guys have every chance to beat them in a seven-game series if it comes down to it in the playoffs. Speaking with Tim Bontemps from ESPN, Tim, uh, you led me perfectly to where I wanted to go. Uh, granted, I give the caveat of we're only 10, 11 games into the season for most teams. You look at the Eastern Conference, and you know we expected Miami to be good. We thought the Bulls would be better. I don't know if we thought they'd be this good. Washington with some improvements, but you look at the top there, the, the Bulls at 7-3, and three, the Wizards at 7-3, and three, the Cavs even at 7-4. and four. Who's been the biggest surprise, yep. maybe both pro and con for you, in the first eh, not quite month of the season, the first few weeks of the year for you in the East. I mean, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. We still haven't talked about the Raptors. I give you guys credit for that. Uh, the, the team that's been the most surprising though has to be the Cavs, right? I mean, they're seven and four. Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes are the leaders for rookie of the year. I think at this point, Mobley is ahead of them. Uh, which I mean, Scotty's been great, but Mobley's been awesome. And the fact that the Cavs are seven and four is stunning. And not only that, they're seven and four. 
you look at the wins they have, right? I mean, they're not playing the Thunder and the Pelicans seven times. I mean, they've, they've won, you know, they won a good game in Toronto the other day uh, or against Toronto the other day. They've beaten the Hawks. They've beaten the, the Denver Nuggets. They've beaten the Clippers. Like, they've, they've won games against good, they beat the Knicks. Uh, they've beaten some good quality opponents. So I don't really trust this thing to last. But the fact that they're seven and four and ahead of, you know, the Bucks and the Celtics and the Hawks and all these teams in the standings is stunning. And you know, I think there's a lot to be excited about in Cleveland with Evan, uh, with Evan Mobley. He's got a chance to be a hell of a player. And, you know, for the first time, really since LeBron left, I think there's reason to be genuinely optimistic if you're a Cavs fan about the future of the franchise. Well, Tim, I, I kind of want to stay there and, and uh, ask you about another team, too. I, I, I always said this. I don't know if it's J.B. Bickerstaff's influence from his dad, Bernie, who was pretty old school and, and you know, hard-nosed and did things a certain way and was a very good coach. But they've gone back to playing kind of old-fashioned with, with two bigs, with you know, Mobley and, and uh, Jared Allen. And, heck, when Lowry Markinen's healthy – you know, the perimeter guys are pretty good big, too, at, at times. And I just wonder if, you know, you look at the way they're playing, it's a little more, I, I hate the word, the words, old school, but it's a little more traditional from back, some of it back in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, where you went inside and you played with bigger guys. So I'm, I'm wondering if that's going to last. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Tim, is Eric and I talked about it off the top, the Atlanta Hawks and what's going on with them and their start. Well, to be real quick on Cleveland, their two best players are seven-footers, right? So, I mean, they've got Jared Allen and they've got uh, Evan Mobley. So, uh, they're playing them together a lot, and, you know, that's the way they're rolling. And I think um, it will be interesting to see long-term, Paul, if that's a a fit that works for them. But, um, you know, I I think in the short term, they're they're getting their best players on the court. And, you know, listen, Larry Markin is not a small forward. That's going to long-term be a disaster in terms of playing him at the three. They can't do that if they want to be a real legitimate team. But, you know, for what they're doing right now, I mean, it's working. And I give J.B. Bickerstaff a lot of credit for putting things together there and finding a way to make it work. And the other thing, real quick before I get to the Hawks, Ricky Rubio has been awesome. He is the sixth man of the year so far for me. And him coming in off the bench, playing as a third guard for them and settling that team down, closing a lot of games for them, he has been fantastic. And I think, frankly, the loss of Colin Sexton with the meniscus injury this week while it's going to hurt the Cavs, I don't think it's going to hurt them that much because it's just going to mean Rubio and Colin Sexton or uh, Darius Garland can play a lot more together. And I think ultimately that's probably going to be a good thing for Cleveland. Now, as far as Atlanta goes, they uh, they have Pat Riley coined the term the disease of me uh, back in the day about having, you know, trying to have everybody aligned and going in the same direction. I, I think that the Hawks are kind of a classic example of a disease of me team. doesn't mean they're selfish guys, but they have a bunch of young players who are trying to establish themselves in the league trying to establish roles and minutes and shots and get contracts, et cetera. And they're trying to figure out that hierarchy right now. And it's a bit of a rough, it's a bit of a rough patch for them. Um, you got guys like Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter, who were not part of the team basically all last year, who are in the lineup now trying to find their spots that they want to get shots and play minutes in. Kevin Herter is struggling quite a bit, I think, with the same thing. Bogdan Bogdanovich, his shots are way down. Um, so I, I think they're going to be fine, I think. They've got a ton of talent. I really like their team. I think Nate Millen's a really good coach. Um, but I think they're just going through some growing pains of trying to figure out how to make all these pieces fit. And until they find a way to do that, combined with the fact that they've had a really tough schedule to start the year, 
you know, they're off to a pretty rough start. But I, I suspect that by the time we get to the end of the season, the Hawks are going to be just fine because, like I said, they got a lot of talent. they got a good coach. I, I think they're going to end up being a very good team. All right, Tim, I'm going to leave it to you. I can either let you go or we can ask you a Raptor question because we can go. We can go 10, 15 minutes without uh, talking talk Raptors. We can talk we can dig into Toronto gotta, another time if you want. I got I to You got to ask me something about the Raptors, I think. I think okay. you're obligated uh, to. Yeah, all right. Well, then here, here's my obligated Raptors question. I'm going to go back to what you were talking about with Ricky Rubio <laughs> as the sixth man. If you had a ballot right now, where would – where would OG Ananobi be in your most improved thought process, and let alone Scotty Barnes in terms of the Rookie of the Year chatter? Well, I, I think, like I said, I mean, Scotty Barnes is either first or second on anybody's ballot right now with having Ananobi for Rookie of the Year. And I, I said coming into the season that, uh, you know, coming into the draft, I, I thought that the Raptors should have said should have taken Jalen Suggs. I said that pretty loudly. Uh, I think Jalen Suggs is also going to be really good, so I'm certainly not saying he stinks, but. Scotty Barnes has blown me away. He's been much better than I anticipated, and frankly, much better than just about everybody anticipated. You know, the scoring that he has done in particular, I think, has really shocked people. You, you listen to Mike Schmitz, you know, my colleague at ESPN, a lot of, you know, any of the draft people that I respect their opinions, or frankly, just talking to people in the league, and that was kind of the question about Scotty. Was he going to be willing to be aggressive offensively and kind of be able to take over games? And, you know, you see Nick Nurse saying, shoot the ball more, shoot the ball more, shoot the ball more, and he's played great. So, um, that's certainly been an awesome thing for Toronto going forward so far. And, look, I thought this was going to be what OG Ananobi did last year, so I'm not surprised he's having this kind of breakout season. But, you know, again, in sort of the same fashion as Scotty Barnes, right, you guys have seen OG for years. This has kind of been the thing everybody thought in Toronto he was capable of doing at some point, but it was a question of was he going to kind of take that next step, and he's taken it. And, you know, you look at the Raptors going forward. Now that Pascal is back, um, getting him in the mix, you know, rolling out there with lineups of Fred Van Vliet and Scotty Barnes and OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam and Gary Trent, that's an interesting team. And, you know, Nick Nurse can play a lot of different ways. They can play small and fast. They've got some bigs that are interesting. Um, you know, they're going to find different ways to try to junk the game up. You know, I've, I've been saying to people since preseason that I think Toronto is going to be a hell of a team to play this year. I don't know how many wins the Raptors are ultimately going to get, but they are not going to be a fun team to play on a nightly basis because they got all these – Six eight six nine. You know, I even mentioned Delano Benton. They got all these long, athletic, rangy guys that are flying around, making life difficult for the opposition. And I just think they're going to be a really difficult team to play, and frankly, a fun team to watch. So, um, so yeah, I think OG has been great. Scotty Barnes has been great, and you know, I think for you know after obviously what was a difficult season last year, I, I again I think you know there's a lot for raptor fans to be excited about and these next couple games are pretty interesting i think you know playing tonight in boston playing tomorrow in philly those are teams that both are dealing with injuries you know philly's got a bunch of guys out celtics have jalen brown out you know for the raptors to kind of make the playoff push that they want to i think these are the kind of games they got to try to get um you know when these teams in their division are down on the road you know if toronto could steal these two games the next couple of days i think it'd be pretty big going forward yeah, I, I agree with you, Tim, and, and this stretch tonight starts for the Raptors eight out of nine on the road as they come home for a game on Saturday against the Pistons and then go on a six-game road trip starting next week. Tim, uh, thanks for the time as always, man. I'm sure we'll be bugging you down the road. All the best. Thanks, Tim. Uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. There is Tim Bontemps from ESPN and Jonesy. I'll just kind of reiterate that point. Eight out of the next nine on the road, and Tim well, said it right. Take advantage of teams that are banged up and missing bodies. Uh, look, if you, I know it's a back-to-back, but 
as you said, with with and Tim mentioned too, with the injuries, you could potentially be looking at a little mini three game winning streak here. But it's a tall order to win on the back to back. And I'll say this about you know eight of the next nine on the road, Eric. It's nine because yeah, that yeah. Saturday night game against Detroit. When you're at home for one game, it's not a home game because you're there, you play the game, and then you're getting ready to 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 get out again. And we've we've traveled with the team for years, and we don't even play. And you get home from a road trip, and you 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 throw your dirty drawers in the laundry, and you kind of get ready for the next game. And while you're getting ready for the next game at home, you're packing for the road. So it it's it's kind of a home game, but. Uh, this is a really tough stretch. The only good thing for Toronto is, you know, they, they have a team that's that's not playing well coming in in Detroit. That being said, don't the Pistons always seem to play with a little more juice against the Raptors for Dwayne Casey? <laughs> like, Absolutely. like, it just seems yep. like that, doesn't it? So it Saturday does. night will be fun, too. Uh, we're going to continue the conversation, get you set for the Raptors and Celtics and more with Alvin Williams next on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Make sure you uh, download the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, Smith & Jones, wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Spotify, Apple, or otherwise, rate, review. Uh, if you like the show, please let us know as we bring into the conversation right now on a game day in Boston, getting set for the Celtics and Raptors, Raptors television analyst, former Toronto Raptor as well, our friend. It's uh, Alvin Williams Wednesdays with Alvin Williams. This is going to be a regular thing, Al. I love it, man. I love it. I'm, I'm ready to be a regular. <laughs> I love it too, hey, Al. And, and trust me, the pay's the same. So either way, we'll, we'll, we'll be calling you every Wednesday, Al. We'll be calling you every Wednesday. Hey, tonight's game against the Celtics, Al. Um, the front court for Boston. And this is going to be something we could probably talk about with it, with every game for the Raptors. How much of an issue will this be for the Raptors uh, playing against, you know, Al Horford, Robert Williams, the size or lack thereof for Toronto? Or does it play into the Raptors' favor that they're a little bit smaller but arguably more athletic and, and, and they've got enough weapons even without a Kem Birch? Yeah, I mean, it's always going to be a challenge. You know, when, you, when you're dealing with size and you're dealing with players like Al Horford that not only brings the game, he brings the experience. He's part of that Boston makeup. Robert Williams with his athleticism, able to, you know, block shots and run the floor, alley-oops. But the Raptors did a great job early, earlier this season playing against that same size. You know, of course, Kim Birch is not here, but I thought the Raptors really did a great job of locking in on the perimeter but their activity, their length, and their versatility, I believe, gave Boston you know, some, some troubles and some challenges. So if the Raptors could continue to do that, especially with their activity and their length, then, then I think they could be in a good place. Al, we had uh, uh, Brian Scalabrini on yesterday, and you know we got to the end of our segment with him, and he's like, wait a minute, you guys didn't ask me about Scotty Barnes. And I, I look back at that game uh, in Boston – uh, I think the rookie jumped him. I, I, I don't think they were prepared for – it was only the second game. Uh, I don't think they were pre- prepared for 
what he could do, his potential, what he was able to do. Kind of like facing that pitcher. They say, oh, he's got a good fastball. And you're like, yeah, okay, I got it. And all of a sudden that thing comes in a little fast. He said, man, I didn't know it was that fast. And I, I think he jumped yeah. them, Alvin. And, and I'm wondering what their prep will be like for him. And and I agree with you in terms of locking in on the perimeter. And I really think guys like there won't, no Ken Birch, but I really think uh, a guy like Precious Achua tonight uh, against, you know, the long, bouncy, mobile, athletic bigs that, that they have, like a Robert Williams, is going to be key. Let, let's face it, it was Robert Williams that hurt, hurt the Raptors in the bubble two years ago, and they didn't have anybody to match him. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a challenge. And Scotty, Scott, I think, Scotty's taking a lot of people by storm, I believe. And it's not just – it's hard to game plan when you have a player like a Scotty, Scotty Barnes because he does so many different things and he can get his own without a play being drawn up for him. So it's pretty much hard to lock in when a guy can take the ball off the glass or he can guard one of your best you know, offensive players, get a stop, get, a, get the ball off the glass, and then push it, initiate the offense for the team or get his own. So it's like, you know – I know it's the comparisons, and I've made them with you know comparing them to uh, a Giannis or somebody like a Scottie Pippen, even like those type of players. It's just hard to game plan for. So that's the element that he probably caught the Celtics off off guard with. But I, I, once again, it's so many things, and he, Precious Achua, I believe he could be so impactful with the second unit, playing against the second unit guys, bringing the energy, bringing those things, and just really owning his his role owning his role. I think he could be a hell of a screen setter, a roller with the ability to make shots, with the ability to put the ball on the floor. But it's step by step for him to get that rhythm again. And Kim Burch is going to be sorely missed because I love the way he offensive rebound and I love the screens he set. He brings a physicality out there that you want every team that, you know, feel when you're playing against them. Hey, Al, I, I, I'm going to reference that, that, Brian Scalabrini interview again for something else too. One of the things that Scal said, he he said that Scotty's on my all refreshing team. It's refreshing to see a guy like that, the way he plays, his enthusiasm, his personality, and everything. He said all refreshing. I don't know if you agree with that, but but I'll ask you anyways. What do you think Scal means beyond that, and how refreshing can a teammate like that be? Because it seems like the vibe, the energy around this Raptor squad is good. And I'm not saying it's all coming just from the Rook. It's, it's a collective personality. But when you've got that feel-good vibe and, and, and you've got those sort of infectious personalities, is that stuff that can spill out from beyond just away from the court, away from the locker room, but into the locker room and onto the court as well? No, definitely. When you're feeling good, when you're coming to work feeling good, when you're waking up, feeling good, those things, that's the start. And if you have a player like that, if you have a locker room like that, um, that that holds so much value. And now that even makes the coaching easier. That makes, you know, the game planning easier. And if you're that talented, and I think he means, you know, he, he has he has the ability that he's good, but his energy on the floor, the way he approaches it, he's never down. You know, he's one of those guys. Now you want him to continue to grow. But I just think the foundation and the base that he has, he has the potential to be a very, very special player. I think he's already special. Potentially, he can be even more special. So that's probably what, what uh, Scalabrini means. Because as a player, and we all know how important it is to work with someone that, that that's an energy giver and not an energy taker. 
Al, um, I think the Raptors need to be a little bit leery tonight, though. The Celtics 0-3 at home, uh, and dating back to last season, they've lost six in a row at home. Uh, you, you just, it's like Dwayne Casey's line. You, you just just better hope the roulette ball doesn't land on your square tonight. Um, what are some <laughs> of the things? What are some of the things that you think they have to be really, really aware of tonight? Well, we, of course, you have a Jason Tatum that can just go off and do his thing. Um, Brown, Jalen Brown's not playing, and as far as I know, he's not playing. I know he had the hamstring injury. So, yeah, he's not. He's not. Um, yep. Yep, so you got to be careful of those guys. But it's still an NBA night. And any night, it's like if you're not playing well, if you're not feeling well, if anything can go against you, you know, just playing for so long and playing in so many games any night. So you just got to stick to the script. I believe the challenge for the Raptors will be how do we still get this chemistry with Pascal back? How do you How do you do that? How do we – put things in place. What are we looking at? What are we trying to accomplish? What lineups are the best lineups for certain situations? We've seen early on with Pascal out, this was an energetic team. This is the team that moved the ball around. This is the team that they played offensively and defensively, most importantly, defensively. And that identity started to be created. But now when you have a dynamic player like Pascal Siakam coming in there, how does that fit into what was bringing us success early in the season? So that's, that's the biggest challenge. It's not so much what the Boston Celtics is going to do. It's really the Raptors, in my mind, how can they still create and, and, and make their chemistry that much better moving forward. All right, Al, I'm, I'm putting the Raptors and Celtics aside for a second, Jonesy, unless you got something else pressing you want to you get. No, I, I, I was going no, to start with this, E. I, I mean, this is, this, okay. is, you know, this is like hey. you know, stuff that's relevant in the hood in Philly. Absolutely, that's, and that's where I'm going. But I see. I figured that this conversation with Al was a continuation from where we left it with Bond Temps, and we finished on Raptors. So I'd stay with Raptors. But Al, as Jonesy just teased there, uh, Markeith Morris, man, I don't know what it's like. Uh, listen, I'm I'm a I'm a guy from the suburbs of Ontario, Al. I ain't from Philly. But if you're gonna body check a dude, an MVP, one of the stars of the game at center court, you better not turn your back and walk away because there is going to be repercussions coming. And I, we, we've said it uh, a number of times in the first hour here of the show, and we'll kind of hand it over to you now. Both Jonesy and I feel that the punishment from the NBA was too light on both sides for Jokic and for Markeith Morris, but Morris probably should have gotten more than Jokic at the end of the day. I don't know your assessment of things, Al, as a, as a, low, as a, as a fellow Philly guy, but I thought it was dirty, and I thought it was, it was also just kind of uh, lame on Morris's part for the hit, let alone turning the back and then expecting that he's just going to walk away unscathed. I mean, it was it was a dirty play, but you know, that's the twins, right? The twins, they have been one of those those guys. Both of them, Marquise and Marcus, they've been the guys that's going to push the envelope. They're going to push the limit when it comes to physicality, making a point. You know, you know, flexing on them, and he did it to the person and. That wasn't standing for it. And this is one of those things for every every action, there's a reaction. Obviously, Marquise didn't think that he was going to retaliate like that, right? And he did. And he got caught slipping at, at base bottom line. My concern is the next phase, because I know twins. I know the twins. And both of them, it's not going to sit well with them. And from when they were young kids, not knowing them, you know, extensively, I know their reputation and I've seen them. It's not going to sit well with them. So I believe the NBA needs to get involved with it deeper than 
just fines and penalties because it could be something. I'm not saying it is. I'm not indicting anyone. I'm not, it could be something that, that can go beyond, you know, the basketball court. Al, mm. I, I hear you. And and the Jokic brothers weighing in, too. And they, they, and they not they, playing they, no they games some, either. No, no. <laughs> they got some gangster in them, too. And, and I, I guess the thing for me, Al, I mean – it's too bad it's the NBA because this thing, if you know, if we were at Kendrick or we were somewhere in, uh, out, outdoors in Philly and that happened, hands would fly, and and then it would be done. Then we'd come back to the park the next day. We'd play. You just keep an eye on that cat, but it it would be done. And I I agree. I just I just don't think the NBA's punishment. We had Tim Bontemps on from ESPN. He said, well, he knew it was probably wasn't going to be more than a game, and he did point out to us that. Jokic seems to have a little bit of that in him too. The way he went after Cameron Payne, and now he snaps at this one. And circumstances, you don't know how much he's being beat on. Uh, you don't know what's being said to him. He's, you know, he's a he's a European guy. He's given people work. All of these things factor into it. So I, I'm with you. I think the NBA needs to be really, really careful about this one. And. Do you not think, Al, because of the reputation you just said it about the Twins, and we we know the way they play? They're they're kind of old fashioned in that sense. Do, are you surprised that there couldn't that, that there wasn't harsher uh, penalties handed out? No, I'm not. I, I feel like the penalties came from the reaction, and and I think the reputation. I think the penalties came because once again, the Twins do have a reputation, and. The Joker, he has a reputation. You mentioned it. Last year, Cameron Payne, when he, he flipped him or did whatever he did to him and got kicked out the game. He's not somebody that's clean. Like It's not highlighted like the Twins are highlighted. But he, he, he's giving his shots. He's hitting people as well. So that's what I mean. The reputation is by both sides. That's why they have to be careful because we got people chiming in. And I'm, I'm old school like the rest of you guys are. Once there's a sideline watching and once, once – people are expecting something It forces people hands at times. And if you have that personality and you have that much pride where you feel like now I have to do something because the bright lights are on it, that that's what, that's what happens with this. So I don't think it should be taken lightly. It's taken to social media. Now the world can see what's going on. And sometimes it forces people hands to do things that they may, they may think otherwise. So it really has to be taken. But I don't think the fines were, I don't know the finding system. I don't know what it goes into it. It seems like some things are fair, some things aren't. But I think moving forward, it really a conversation and some action has to be taking place. Hey, I, all I know is if if we were out there, guys, I, I might be the smallest one out there, but I'm gonna have those elbows sharp, and I'll be. I got your back, Al. I got I got you, Jonesy. I, I'll come at you like a like hey, a like a hey. rabid Wolverine out there. I'll e, be scratching e. and clawing and kicking and biting hey, whatever e, it takes. E. Hey, I think you should. I think you. Should, I think you stay out of this one. I think you should stay uh, out of that. I, I would Al, tell you myself, stay out of this one, E. <laughs> Al, I was just going to say, that would happen at the park, and somebody would look at E and say, what's your little backside? And boom, you'd get one push, and you'd be on the side. Like, just, just like, That's all right. I know That's all right. when I'm to stay up. out of it, I'm, I'm defending my guys. I'm defending my guys. I'm coming at you. Napoleon complex. I'm ready to go. Nah, and I don't want oh, you to be man. Jeff Van Gundy down there grabbing somebody's leg and getting tossed <laughs> around. So uh, just, just stay. Just let's let's keep this one quiet. Let's go back to the locker room and get out of here as fast as possible, man. Al, uh, and, and right, that's Al. the thing, right? There's so many players. I'm sorry, but there's so many players that they will not 
take that action. So you right. get comfortable. Obviously, the twin, he got comfortable enough where I did this and nobody's going to do nothing about it. But you just got you got bulldozed from back, the back and got whiplash, and you don't know where you are right now. Like, he, I'm sure he went to that locker room foggy as hell, not knowing what hell happened to him. Like he probably still don't know what happened to him until he saw that videotape. So it's one of those things where there's some players out there that if you, if you choose to take that route, you gotta, you can't, you can't minimize what that reaction is going to be. Once you smack somebody, don't get mad if I punch you three times. Right. So <laughs> it's, it's just like one of those things. Al, we appreciate it as always, man. We'll, we'll uh, hopefully talk before next Wednesday, but either way, Alvin Williams Wednesday on Smith and Jones. Have a good call tonight. All right, Al. Take care. Thank you, guys. There's Alvin Williams again, Raptors and Celtics tonight, 7 o'clock pregame show uh, on Sportsnet and, of course, on Sportsnet 590 The Fan as well. Jonesy and I will have the call for you uh, with the tip-off coming just after 7.30. So uh, a double dip of Smith and Jones today. Uh, listen, folks, as I've said many times, and I'll keep hammering it, if you like the show, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review the show as well.